We've got just a couple of announcements uh, today. Um, one is, I think there are some slides that are just a praise report on the time that we had together uh, last Sunday after church, our family service last week, and uh, a lot of people hung around after church. It was a hot day, and we had just a lot of fun out on uh, the patio and in the commons with food and fellowship and uh, getting some people very wet. So thank you for those of you who participated and again, just an important time of our life together as a family. So the second announcement is from Kathy about women's ministry. Good morning. Just a reminder for uh, fall Bible studies, women's Bible studies are starting up. Um, so here's just the rundown on them. So Monday mornings, they're on break for a little while. Monday evenings are going to begin October 3rd, and we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Tuesdays at 2, it's on Zoom, and that's also continuing uh, through the book of James. And Thursday evening begins September 15th, and that's beginning the study of Exodus. So again, uh, Bible studies for women, a great place to learn, to grow, and to give to each other. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so our last announcement, um, again, I want to just read a verse of scripture that kind of sets the stage for it. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 5, and Jesus says to us, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's really the call that Jesus has for us as believers, to really be light and to be salt in our communities and to make a difference as believers in, uh, in our culture, in the society around us. And one thing that we just want to draw attention to today is that a member of our family here is running for school board. Um, Dave Walker is. Dave, why don't you just kind of wave to everybody. So I, I, I want to be really clear. Um, this is not an endorsement of Dave. Um, we love you, Dave, but I'm, we are not seriously telling anybody how to vote. If you happen to live in that district, you vote for whoever you want to. What we are saying is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, is that we as believers are called to be light in our communities. And that is what David is attempting to do. And if he gets elected, I'm sure he'll be light within the school board. And if he doesn't, he'll still be light in this community. So this is not telling anybody what to do or how to vote. It is saying to all of us that when the Lord leads you, and asks you to serve in this community in any type of capacity, it's a wonderful thing. And we just want to acknowledge and thank you, really, David, for hearing God's voice and obeying and being willing to step up and do that. So that's something that all of us have an opportunity to do. So thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Richie's not here. I know, because he usually sits right there. But the good news is, is Pastor Richie is uh, with family members in uh, San Diego right now, and he's doing, talk about salt and light, so Pastor Richie is down doing what we are all called to do, that is honoring our father and our mother, and they are taking care of mom, who is recuperating from a fall, right? And she's starting to get along a little bit better now, and family is there gathering around to support her in this recuperation, and that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. So this morning, by the way, I'm Bill, in case you don't know me. Any first-timers here? I see some new faces. There you go. So my name is Bill. I'm an elder here, and I hope, as the reading from Revelation says, that uh, my true hope is, is that I will be one of the elders that is throwing my crown at the feet of Jesus in the heavenly realms one day. But before we go there, I want to tell you about a story of a college philosophy professor. You see, there was this college philosophy professor who had a full semester of lecture to his students in this philosophy class. 
And he told them on the week before their final exam that, listen, you're going to come back next week and you're going to take this final exam like all college students do. You have to take a final. And so he was giving them some instruction. He told them, you're going to come back and you're going to take this final and all you need to bring with you is a writing instrument. Everything else will be provided. And the idea is that when you come, it is going to be a three-hour test, just like my three-hour lectures have been during the course of this philosophy class. So you'll have three hours to complete the test. So when the students came back, they came back the following week, and they were prepared, and they got to their seats, and because they're just like churchgoers, they always sat at the same seat. Ernie's laughing because he always sits there. So they got to their seats, and in each seat, there was a spiral binder, 100 pages lined, both sides, which meant that there are 200 pages so that they could write their essay. So the students just assumed that the college professor, of course, was going to then hand out the test questions that they were anxious to get. But he didn't do that, you see, because he gave them instructions that he had given them the week before. He told them, listen, you're going to have three hours to complete this test, and when you complete the test, all I want you to do is take your 100-page spiral-bound binder that you wrote the essay in and bring it up to the front of the class and just put it on my desk, whether you're finished or not. Pretty straightforward, so they thought that they could do that. They were ready for the test, you see, but it was nowhere to be found. There were no papers on his desk. There was nothing. So they were anxious. They had been studying to take this test. So the professor proceeded to tell them that now comes the test question, and this is what he did. He wrote on the whiteboard the test question. Why? That was the test question. Now, these are eager philosophy students, and you can just imagine that after a full semester of reading and studying and pouring into philosophy, they were just ready to go to answer this question, why? It's philosophy after all. And so they just right away started, they opened their Binders, and they started to write, all except for one. And this one student almost immediately got up, walked to the front of the class, and put his spiral binder on the instructor's, professor's desk and walked out. Now, you might imagine that that got quite a chuckle from the rest of the students. Like, (laughs) what's he thinking? So after they laughed, they got busy, and they started to write. And most of those philosophy students took the entire three hours that was allocated to answer the question, why? And so you see, in the old days, and this won't be applicable to some of you that are young, because this was before the digital age, you see, so in the old days, what happened in college is that you would go back to the class several days later and post it on the bulletin board in the class. You see, they would have the grades. Woo! It was painful because they would have your name alphabetically and they would have the grade that you got on your final and then they would have the grade posted for your complete class for the semester. No pressure, but it was there for everybody to see. You see, so they were excited about coming back and so several days later they all came back and on the bulletin board, just like it was planned... There's everybody's name, and they were astonished. Every single student in the class got a C on their final exam. A C. Who wants a C? They were all Cs except one. There was one student that got an A+. Not only did he get an A+, but the professor taped his 
exam essay on the board for everybody to see. And wouldn't you just know it, the guy that got the A plus was the one that walked out of the class. He just walked out. Why did he get an A plus? How could that happen? But there was his exam. And his answer to the question, why, was because. Because. That was his answer. Well, this is perplexing to all the students that had worked so hard and generated hours and hours of reading and studying for this philosophy exam. And they got a C in this clown writes because and gets an A plus. And that just kind of sums up philosophy, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it really does because when you, when you think about it, and here's the, here's the definition of philosophy. See, philosophy is the study of the fundamental nature of what? Knowledge, wisdom, reality, and existence. So in that context, you see, the professor's question was brilliant. It was just absolutely brilliant. But more brilliant than that was the answer. The brilliant answer because was brilliant why? Why was because so brilliant when everybody else spent three hours struggling through writing an essay to answer the question why? Why was because brilliant? It was because there was no context. And context matters, doesn't it? If you've been around me for any length of time, you realize that I always like to say that words matter too. But context really matters. You see, there was no context to the question why. So because was only a brilliant answer because there was no context to that either. Now, I want to help you with this just a little bit because I know many of you in this room have either been three years old, all but Ernie. Ernie was born and he... Ernie's the only one in the room that is 4,612 years old, right, Ernie? <laughs> so you've either been three years old, you've raised a three-year-old, or in some cases, there are people in this church that have someone in their house right now uh, in diapers that's going to be a three-year-old. And this is going to help you, and let me tell you what I mean by that to give you a little context. So I just want to, I want you to imagine for a moment... Okay, just, just bear with me. Imagine for a moment that you have this three-year-old in your house. And you say to your little three-year-old Johnny, who is just about to grab this big old spider. There he is right there. Johnny's going to grab this big old spider off the ground. And you know, like every three-year-old, you know exactly what's going to happen. As soon as he picks it up, it's going to go straight in his mouth. Because that's what three-year-olds do. And so what do you do? As soon as Johnny is about to grab that spider, you say, Johnny, don't touch that. Yikes. And what does Johnny respond? Why? So you see, there's context all of a sudden because now there's something very specific because now you see the spider that Johnny is going to pick up and probably put it in his mouth and that gives context. It's quite specific. And Johnny's question, why? Well, he doesn't know about the context because he's three. But this gives you an opportunity right at that very moment because then you can tell Johnny and you can explain and reason, if that's possible with a three-year-old, why, why he shouldn't pick up that spider and especially he shouldn't put it in his mouth. Or you can choose to do what many of you have done with your three-year-old because after 47 times of asking the question, why, as a three-year-old, sometimes you just got to say, because I said so. Right. You've probably done that. But you see, either way, the why question in that particular case, or command as it were, it has context because it's very specific. So the philosophy exam question of why, on the other hand, you see, why has no context. It's broad, it's vague, it's ambiguous. So the because answer is the only thing that fits. No wonder you got an A+. But I'm telling you, there are people in this room right now, many of you, have why questions, because life is filled with why questions, right? 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 Yeah, that's what I thought. 
Now, most of the time we ask why questions, and they can be philosophical, because if you understand the definition of, of, of philosophy, it's, it's about gaining knowledge and even wisdom, right? Reality. So we ask these why questions, and some of them are quite superficial, and some of them are quite profound. And I would suggest that many, both inside and outside the church, we major in the minor of superficial wise, and we minor what we should be majoring in, in the profounds. Now, I speak from my own experience here, as one who at one time in my life, frankly, had absolutely no interest in the profound wise. Right? You grow up and you're just going, I was living my life, it was fast, it was furious. I was just running as hard as I could. Who had time to ask questions of why? What was the point? Until one day, something changed. You see, one day, because I was a student skydiver, and some of you have heard this story, I was a student skydiver, and I found myself in quite a predicament. And the predicament, now, first question you might have in regards to why is Bill, why? And the world would you be jumping out of a perfectly good airplane? But based on what I'm going to tell you, it's a little bit too late to be asking that question because I am. And I know that some of you know this story, but I just want to remind you if you had forgotten that I had told you that I was an exceptional student skydiver. I was exceptional. And what I mean by that is exceptionally bad. You see, because on this one particular jump, I found myself on a very fast, uncontrolled, flat spin at the time where I was supposed to deploy my parachute. And so it was a little bit scary at that particular point. And the short of this story is that in an effort to deploy that parachute at that time in this student skydive, in this rapid spin, I had flipped over on my back. And so the parachute, the whole thing, came up between my legs and wrapped me up. I found myself wrapped up head to toe in parachute cords and nylon parachute in a head-down head attitude, going over 100 miles an hour toward the ground. Trust me, at that very moment, there was no thinking about philosophical questions of why. And why was that? Well, you see, because that happened at about 2,500 feet in altitude, and at that altitude, wrapped up, head-down, like a lawn dart, at 150 feet per second, straight to the ground, I had about 16 seconds to figure this out. 16 seconds in the grand scheme of things isn't very long. Certainly not long enough to ask the question why. Nothing I did was able to free me from that predicament. But then all of a sudden there were two fierce jolts. The first jolt, wham! I felt it. I didn't see it. My eyes were closed. I was preparing myself for an impact with the ground. But that first wham, somehow or another, all of that mess that was tangled around me and wrapped me up tighter than a mummy came undone. A parachute opened, and then a couple of seconds later, bam, the next thud, I hit the ground. That parachute opened in just enough time to soften the blow. Maybe so I could stand here and tell you about it. Now, there's a lot more to the story, and you would think that the first question right after that incident had taken place, I'd be asking the question, why, 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 why? But nope, not me. See, I'm an analytic, so the question was how, how, how? How did that happen? How? I tried to figure that out, but they told me I was lucky. Lucky. Well, maybe. I was lucky. But you see, that just didn't satisfy me. So I realized that after a while, I was asking the wrong question. I was asking the question, how did that happen, when I should have been asking the question, why? Why did that happen? I was desperate to get the answer to why did that happen. And so for the next three years, it was my full-time job to study philosophy and the spiritual components therein to try to find out the answer to why did this happen? 
And during that discovery process, I realized that that why question wasn't even the right question because what eventually happened is I had to ask myself, why am I even here? Who am I? That was the real question. But just like those college students, you see, they were in a philosophy class. And just like them, I began to read. I had a voracious appetite for reading. I read Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Nietzsche. I read all the philosophers, every single one of them. All I could get was vagueness and ambiguity. I couldn't grab onto anything that they were trying to teach me. It seemed like almost all the time the only answer was because. It just wasn't satisfying. Why did that happen? Because oh, it just didn't work for me. So I began, because I was dissatisfied with that, looking into not only the philosophical aspects of my life, but then I turned to Buddhism. Because I discovered that in Buddhism there are these four noble truths that Buddhism is trying to teach us, you see. That existence is suffering. That suffering has a cause. That suffering can cease. They call that nirvana in Buddhism. And then Buddhism teaches that all you have to do to end this suffering is eight simple things. I'm in. I got to just do eight things. I'm a list guy. Give me a list. I'll do it. Give me a list. So I was taught that all I got to do is have the right views. I just have to have the right resolve. I have to have the right speech, the right livelihood, the right mindfulness, the right concentration, take the right actions, and have enough of the right works. That's all I had to do. And I was convinced that when I figured that out, I would have an answer to why. Who am I and why am I here? The problem with all of that is I tried it. I tried all of that, and no matter how much I studied, within the context of philosophy and Buddhism as a religion. You see, there was absolutely no absolutes. There was nothing concrete. There was nothing I could hold on to, you see. It didn't seem logical. So the more I worked at trying to figure these things out, you see, the more I realized that it was simply left up to me to figure out what nirvana even was. I didn't have the capacity for that. So I even discovered that there was something even local here that I could try. Maybe you've heard of it, the Cortona Institute of Theosophy. Have you heard of that? Pulled together in the Ojai Valley by a, a, a self-proclaimed Indian philosopher by the name of Krishnamurti. There's a school here too, Oak Grove School. My nephew teaches there. Interesting. So I thought if Buddhism didn't work, maybe theosophy will. I didn't even know what that meant. But the, the Theosophical Society says this. It says, we are dedicated to the oneness of all life and to the spiritual awakening of the human family. Woo, I wanted to be awakened. But the problem with that is, is that, you see, they were teaching the same thing that I had just been through in philosophical thought, Buddhist and Hindu theories. It was all about pantheism. Everything is God. God is everywhere. There are so many gods. God is in the universe, which is now know, you now know that if somebody says, well, actually, Bill, I've had this happen sharing my faith with somebody. Actually, Bill, that's great for you, but I'm not very religious, but I'm spiritual. If you hear that, you might know where it comes from. Because philosophical religion is no religion at all. I just didn't know that at the time. So I practiced and I studied all of these things. I got engaged with, with Krishnamurti teaching. And here's, here's a couple things from Krishnamurti that maybe you'll be interested in. He said this. He said, tell your friend that in his death, a part of you dies and goes with him. Wherever he goes, you go also. That way he will never be alone. That's great. It's just not true. See, I was trying to find some truth. I need truth. That's what I need. I'm trying to find it. And Krishnamurti says, I maintain that truth is a pathless land. There is no path to truth, he said. 
You cannot approach it by any path whatsoever, by any religion, by any sect. The moment you follow someone, you cease to follow truth. You see, I learned that even Christian Murdy taught a lot about truth. And it took me a while to figure out that all that he taught about truth wasn't true. It just wasn't true. Which led me, of course, then into the New Age movement, New Age theology, crystals. You can go to a lot of shops in this valley right now, and you can buy crystals, and they will teach you about the powers of crystal. I'm looking for power. I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for answers. I buy crystals. I'm rubbing them. I'm, I'm like, they are idols for me because I want to believe it. The New Age theology taught me how to empty my mind in Eastern meditation. Well, I had already learned that in the Buddhist principles and practices. And then they taught me about the root. Have you heard about this one, the third eye? Have you heard about this one? In New Age theology, in the third eye, which I was very interested in, you see, because it told me that in the third eye, if I studied that long enough, that would be leading me to be able to see my spiritual self, which is God. Almost right away, I knew that that couldn't be true. Because I didn't know a lot, but I knew this. I ain't God. Amen? By the way, one of the interesting things that New Age theology teaches is that, uh, that your mind and your words can create both reality and truth. But let's be real clear. Your mind and your words are important, but they do not create reality or truth amen they do not now you may laugh at all these claims from the new age movement and buddhism and there are very sincere people that are attempting to follow these practices because they're desperate and they're looking for real truth but the problem is you see that they were teaching me that all i had to do was have the right views i just had to have the right thinking the right words, and if I worked at it hard enough, and if I worked at it long enough, you see, that I would attain this nirvana that I had read so much about. And of course, all of that, three, almost three and a half years of intense study, reading, practice, all of it led to what I now like to call as philosophical and spiritual hogwash. That's a theological term that you're more than welcome to use if you would like to. It's hogwash. Even though there are people that are sincerely interested in these things, frankly, guys, it's hogwash. There's nothing to it. So back to this intense desire to answer the question, why? See, I'm feeling like after three, three and a half years of this, this has been an intense journey for me. I feel like in one sense I've learned a lot, but I just like wasted three years. What a waste. I was no farther along than when I had started, and I was trying to figure out why. Why? I was frustrated, but I was not willing to give up because I'm not a quitter. At least that's what I told myself. So through, I press on. I press on. And through a series of coincidences, Through a series of coincidences, coincidentally, I just find myself, I just happen to find myself searching on the radio for somebody that told me that there was such a thing as a Christian radio station, which I thought, what? So I find it. Because I was desperate, you see. The, the crazy thing is, is that I had never even considered anything like that because of the way I grew up and people in church that I knew of. I went to Catholic high school, for goodness sakes. I wanted nothing to do with any of that. Nothing. I find myself listening to this radio station. K-D-A-R. You heard of it? I turn it on, and there's this guy on there. First thing that comes up, there's this guy on there. He introduces himself. His name is Chuck Swindoll, and this is what he says. I can't remember exactly the words, but he says something like this. If you want to know the truth of who you are, what? Three and a half years. 
I've been waiting for somebody to tell me, what do I got to do to figure this out? Why? The guy on the radio says, listen, if you want to figure out who you are and why you're here, you have to come to know the living God. I'm thinking, how do you do that? How do you do that? So he tells me, the guy on the radio, he tells me, he says, man, you got to get into the word of of God so that the word of God gets into you. You see, because you've got to get into the Bible because it is the inspired word of God. You see, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's authoritative, all of which resonated with me because I hadn't read anything yet that was authoritative or true. Nothing. I had well over 100 books in my library that I had read trying to figure this out. And the guy on the radio tells me I just got to read this book, this one. So what do I do? Because I don't got one of these. So immediately I run down to the bookstore. I find out where you can buy one. And I walk into the place and there's a young girl in there about your age. And she's, I say, I need to buy a Bible. And she says, which one? What do you mean, which one? Just the one. I want the one. She asked me a couple of questions and she says, okay, I know what you need. So she gives me this one. I drove straight home and I opened this one. Right to the front, just like I had done every other book I ever read. I opened up to the front. Pages are kind of crumpled now. And I started reading, and I'm shocked at what's in there. (laughs) You ever read Genesis? Man, those people are screwed up. (laughs) Like way more than me. But I start reading it because the guy on the radio said that I'm going to find out why questions, who I am and why I'm here. It's going to be in there. Because it's authoritative. It's infallible. And I'm excited because nothing had come to me yet that was authoritative. I read Psalm 103. These are just some of the things that just resonated with me. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then there's a Ephesians 1.5. I love this one. God decided in advance. Do you hear that? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. <sighs> See, because I'm still hung up. The guy on the radio said that this is infallible. It's true. And so I'm trying to process this. Then there's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore... There's always a good reason for a therefore being a therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I have no idea what that means. But I like what I'm reading so far. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then there was this one that just blew me away. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. I got goosebumps right now. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, at this particular point, guys, this is so refreshing for me. This is like refreshing. I don't know exactly what all this means, but man, I am just soaking it in. I sat down with this book, and I didn't even go to work for two or three days because, you ever read this? It takes a long time to get from the front to the back of this book. The Bible in one year, man, I devoured this thing in like three days. It was so refreshing after having gone through three and a half years of Eastern mysticism and philosophical nonsense that was presented to me as truth, but it just wasn't. Finally, the guy on the radio said that there was truth in here, and it came with authority. When I got to the book of John, I love the book of John. The book of John changed my life. I read again and again and again and again. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, that was me. Man, this whole thing was personal for me at this particular point in my life. Jesus said to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So the next thing you know, I find myself in church. Why? Because the guy on the radio said, you need to find yourself a healthy, well-balanced church that is Christ-centered and Bible-believing. So I found me one of those, and I went. And after my third Sunday there, the guy at the front, the guy who was up here, this is crazy. (laughs) I can't even go there. Because I was out there, see. I went to church three weeks in a row. It was like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But the preacher guy that was up there, he does this. He says that there's, there's, he calls it an altar call. I have no idea what that is. He says, listen, if you're looking for answers, and he says something like this. I can't quote it exactly because it was a long time ago. He says something like, if you're trying to figure out the answers to your life, like the why questions and who you are and why you're here, and you need to just know God, you need to come to Jesus. So come on up. Well, there's no way I'm going up. There was a lot of people there, you know? What are they going to think of me? I'm like way too self-conscious for that. Then he gives me the greatest out in my entire life. He says, but you know what, guys? There's like nothing magic coming up here. There's nothing. You don't have to come up here to get these answers. You can just go home and get in your closet and get on your knees and turn off the light and put your hands in the air and then the best way you know how, say, Jesus, I'm ready. Church didn't even stop. And I was out of my chair in my pickup truck driving home and I did exactly that. I went straight into my house. I went into my walk-in closet. I shut the light off. I got on my knees. I raised my hands. I don't remember exactly what I said. It was a long time ago now. And I said, I, 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 I think I said I'm ready. Something like, Jesus, if you're real, let's like get it on. Because I'm, I'm like tired now. Just three and a half years of this. I got no answers. I'm looking for answers. But nothing happened. Sat there on my knees in my closet, and then nothing happened. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. Nothing happened. I was pretty confused. Frankly, I was pretty darn disappointed because the guy on the radio told me I should be going to church, and the guy at church told me I should be coming home to my closet. Nothing happened. Until I literally came out of the closet. I came out of the closet. And that was both a literal and a spiritual coming out. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I stepped that day out of the closet. It was dark in there. And when I stepped out of that darkness, I stepped into my my bedroom and it was light. I stepped out of the darkness spiritually and into the light. That's what happened. Thank you for that amen. The biggest amen in my life. Everything changed. Even my vision was clearer. I had no idea what was happening, but it was a visceral experience. I'm telling you, it was real. Well, that was over two decades ago. And in the last two decades, let me tell you, it has been one heck of a journey with the Lord, right? Because he has been so faithful ever since that day when I surrendered because I was just ready, not even knowing how. Because God is always faithful. And I would love to hear an amen to that. See, so this Chuck Swindoll guy on the radio that day, who I still listen to, by the way, all these years later. See, I had spent three years seeking the question, to the, uh, the answer to that question right there. Why? That turned into, why am I here? Who am I? And it came right after my Matthew 6.33 moment that says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all of these things will be added unto you. See, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that at that moment I had been seeking the wrong things. And frankly, coming to Jesus is a supernatural experience, isn't it? There is nothing that I could do. I didn't know it at the time, but I do now. It is supernatural. And once I got over my bad self, which I still have to do from time to time, 
And once I surrendered and received that free gift of salvation, whoo, man, it was like, thank you, Jesus, that I spent those three and a half years. It was like it all started to make sense. Now I could set that stuff aside, you see, because it didn't make any sense. Maybe there's stuff in your life that doesn't make sense. You see, because it was by revelation that I figured these things out. It wasn't on my own. It was by the word of God. And it took a guy on the radio to get me there. A guy on the radio. But because of that revelation, revelation, I love it. I figured out who I was, you see, because I am born of God. I am a child of God. I am here to do the will of God to the glory of God. That's the why. Amen? That's the why. I discovered, you see, that that is true. And when you discover that that is true in your life, you are set free. You are free indeed, the Bible says. I got to tell you, man, it took me 40 years to figure that out. But when I became free, it was like, whoa. Freedom is great. Amen? It's true. And you want to know what else is true? I'm going to tell you something else that's true. See, that's my story. I got a story. And the truth of the matter is, everybody hearing my voice, whether you're in this place or someplace else, you see, you got a story too. You have a story. You have a story of coming to faith. And that story is 100% totally unique to you. There are no two stories of coming to faith in Christ that are the same. Never have been, never will be, it is unique to you. So your testimony of coming to faith in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, is powerful. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you otherwise. It is powerful. It's your story. Some of you hearing this, of course, don't have a story of coming to faith. Some of you may be in a position in your life right now where you're asking some pretty big, profound, as opposed to superficial why questions. Why am I here? I love it when Richie says this <laughs> during the course of any one of his messages. He says, hey, man, you've got to ask the question, why are you even here? That's, a, that's an important question. That's not superficial. Who are you, and why are you here? Pretty important question. Well, if that's you, by the way, listening to this, or if you're in this room right now and you've been walking around the periphery of this whole thing about Jesus and salvation and you just really, I mean, come on, man, you've been kidding yourselves because you haven't been serious about it. I want to read you something that I've put some emphasis on from Ephesians 1.5, and maybe, maybe this will help. I don't know. Ephesians 1.5, my emphasis added. God decided in advance to adopt you into his family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do because it gives him great pleasure. I mean, come on. That's worth more than an amen. That's like a hallelujah, a hallelujah moment, right? Isn't it? You see, Ephesians 1.5 is true, so my advice for you, if you haven't done that yet, maybe you just need to have a closet experience, man. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you could do it sitting here. You could go home and get in your closet and turn off the light. I don't know what you got to do, but I know this. I'm going to give you some advice. Don't wait. And the reason that you shouldn't wait is because I'm here to tell you right now that you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day after that. And before you have some kind of a parachute experience of your own that ends up tragically, you need to think about the profound why question. Coming to faith in Christ because it's the truth, it's the answer. Because you are his masterpiece. Now I need to switch gears here for just a minute because I want to talk to the church for just a second here. 
I want to talk to the church because the church is the people of God, right? The church is not this building. Who cares about this building? It's comfortable and it's nice and I like it, wonderful, but we don't need it. It's not the church. You're the church. That's who I want to talk to. Because my prayer this week has been that really, frankly, what I want to say next should be very biblically evident to you. What I want to say next should be very biblically evident to you. And I use the term biblically evident as it relates to biblical truth based on the fact that we should all be self-feeders on the word of God. Right? I expect a real amen out of Randy. Amen, brother. There you go. Why? You see, because the power of the gospel that is contained in the truth of the word of God is transformative, guys. This is transformative. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not. They don't have to believe it. But it's true. It is transformative, you see, because God's word was not given to us for information. It was given to us for transformation. You want to be transformed? Get into the word of God so the word of God gets into you. Period. Period. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you believe that? I hope so. I do. But I want to get real honest with you here. See, because the church has been negligent. The church, not the building, the church. The church itself, the church in terms of leadership, the church has been negligence, at least in the sense that the church has allowed the culture to infiltrate. The culture has been infiltrating your life. Come on, be honest. It has been. It's hard for it not to. So don't get all spiritual on me here. My wife has this shirt that I love. It has, you ever seen Bill the Cat? And he's got these big eyes and he's all like freaked out. And, and on the front of it, it says, maybe you've seen this. On the front of it, Bill the Cat is there and he's like, ah! And it says, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> well, it's not fine. It's not fine. The culture's crazy out there. You see, it should be the other way around. You see, we should be infiltrating the culture, not the other way around. And this whole biblically evident thing that I'm talking about comes to terms in Jesus' saying in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now just wait a minute. Wait a minute, did you hear that? Did you hear that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? And I want to tell you that based on that authority, the same authority that gives you your identity as a child of God, that same authority that gives, that gives God the Father, he sees you as fully righteous through the righteousness of Christ, you see. And on that same authority, that truthfully declares that your purpose in this life is to glorify God in everything that you think and you say and you do. That's your purpose. On that authority, Jesus then says in verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we really believe in this church. It is the church's responsibility to do that. But church, time is short. If you haven't noticed, it's like wildfire out there. Anyone? It's like wildfire out there. This is the point now where if you disagree with anybody, you're a hater. You could even be speaking the truth and you're a hater. They teach this to our kids in school, which is praise God. We've got people who can run for the school board and try to bring some sense to all this monkey business. But I'm telling you that it's in the schools, it's in the media, just flooding the media with these lies. And our politics and our so-called political leaders, it's craziness. Because you see, we've allowed the culture into our lives. And so the real question that I have for you this morning is, are we so entertainment and consumer driven that we've lost sight of our identity, who we are in Christ, and that our Christian priorities and even our biblical instructions for our calling in life? Have we? Too often I think the question is yes. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that the church is just becoming more and more biblically illiterate. We can't do that. We say we're seekers of truth. And then this thing gathers dust in the corner someplace. That's just as crazy. 
There's never been a time in human history that's more important than right now at this very time for us to be able to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because the world needs it whether they know it or not. And I hear so many people in the church, me included, I'm guilty here saying, oh, Jesus, it's crazy out there. Just come. Come, Jesus. Well, I'm going to submit that that's wrong thinking. I'm going to submit to you that that's the wrong attitude. I'm going to submit to you that because that misses the point of who you are and why you're here in the first place. Trust me, Jesus has got this under control. Even he doesn't know when he's coming. Father only knows. And this should be so biblically evident. Jesus said that he's the one that's been given all authority. Trust me, he's obedient to the word of the Father, and when it's time for him to come, he'll come. In the meantime, church, it's an exciting time to be alive. It is an exciting time to be alive, crazy as it is out there. We should, and yes, I'm going to should on you this morning. And if you've never been should on, well, today's your lucky day. Because you should be out there proclaiming the truth of the good news of Jesus that is the way, the truth, and the life. Seriously, with intentionality. And you should be doing it every day, everywhere, in every way that you think and you act, everything you do. One of the problems is that we've been negligent, and I, I, I found this. I just had to put this up because it's so true. It's an ouch moment. R.C. Sproul had this quote. He says, here then is the real problem of our negligence, church. We fail in our duty to study God's words, so not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or even a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Ouch. That's an ouch moment. But I think Sproul nailed it because that may be difficult to hear, and I love it when Pastor Richie uses this one because he says, man, that's a zinger, isn't it? That's a real zinger. But come on, we can be honest, can't we? We're family. <laughs> Let's just be honest. So in light of Joshua 1.8, Joshua 1.8, in the New Living Translation, which I really love, drives the point right home. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and exceed in all you do. You see, if you're going to prosper and you're going to exceed in all you do, and especially in your primary purpose in life, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples, well then, we can't be spiritually lazy, can we? We can't be. We are. So I'm going to shoot on you again. You should be a self-feeder. Why? Because Joshua 1, 8, you see, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Being a biblical self-feeder is a biblical command. That's one of the reasons why Timothy 1, 4, 7, and 8 says this. But have nothing to do with irreverent folklore and silly myths. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Keeping yourself spiritually fit for physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training, is of value in everything and in every way since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. And Romans 12, too, that many of us are familiar with, do not be conformed to this world. That's the culture out there. Don't be conformed to that. But... Be transformed, because that is transformative. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, which is equally true, but not biblical, but equally true, extra-biblically. He said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. That's another ouch moment. Huh? Come on now. 
See, because if you're going to be spiritually fit, not falling for the philosophical and cultural nonsense and hogwash that's right outside the doors. And if you have been falling apart, if you're listening to this and you've been falling apart and having difficult with the profound questions of why, well then, in the power of the Spirit, because our flesh is weak, right? In the power of the Spirit, which is the only way you can do it, be a self-feeder on the Word of God and do it continually. And I'll conclude with this. These things are important. All these things are important. First, you got to know God before you can know who you are and why you're here. So do that. That's important. Because your Heavenly Father wants to have a personal, intimate, and abiding relationship with you. Which means you too have to do something. Amen? Two, you see, it is because God gives you your identity. See, your identity in Christ is in Christ. In fact, your life is Christ. Everything else is just simply what we do, not who we are. And being continually transformed glorifies God, and that takes effort. So don't be spiritually lazy. Because you've heard it here ten times already today. Get into the Word of God so the Word of God gets into you. Because if you're a true believer, then you believe in your heart. This is information. This is transformation. Make the 18-inch journey. Because the Bible says that if you're a believer, that you are a disciple, which the Bible tells us to go out and make more of. A disciple is a, disciple is a follower and a continual learner. And because that is true, you need to go and make disciples. Because we are told to go and make disciples. And that starts first with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world would know. But, this is not a biblical but, this is a bill but. But, you need to catch this. Because I want to give you some encouragement. Here's what I want to catch if you don't catch anything else this morning. Most believers don't share the gospel of Jesus with unbelievers. Most don't. Why? Because they lack confidence. Why do they lack confidence? Because they're not really so sure what they believe and why they believe it. And why is that? Well, because it takes self-discipline and effort to be a self-feeder. Because in the Bible, you are going to find absolute truth, which includes discovering who you are and why you're here. So I don't know where you are this morning with 2 Timothy 3.16 that says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for either teaching, rebuking, correcting, or training. I don't know if, if, if you're stuck on one of those or all four of those or none of those. I just don't know. But I know one thing, and I promise this, and it's the last time I'm going to shoot on you this morning. <laughs> you should today. This very day, walk out of here with 100% confidence. Confidence that you can share the truth of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying world. And you can do that with anyone, anytime, anywhere. Why? Because you have a story. Never forget it. Your story is profound. Your story is powerful. Your story is unique. And people will listen to your story long before they'll listen to what you believe. Because your story matters. Amen? So start there.
because it won't take long for you to find somebody right outside those doors. You'll probably run across them today. And they might want to hear your story. So share it. Because you see, your story of personal testimony of coming to faith in Jesus that is going to be shared with people because today you're going to walk out of here 100% confident that your story matters and it's powerful, you see. And in the power of the Holy Spirit telling your story, even the messy parts, you do not have to be Bill the Cat here. Everything's fine. I don't see one face out here that if you were honest with me, you would say everything in your life is absolutely fine. Got to look to Jesus for that. Never met a person yet where everything was fine. So tell them the messy parts too. It's okay. And why your story? Because you see, it's your story that just might make the difference for one or many people cock their head and say, wow, that's true. So go. Today, go. Every single one of you, share the gospel of Jesus Christ and share your story because we're told to make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've given us each a story. And my prayer this morning, God, as we leave here, is that we would be confident because our confidence comes from you. You are the one that led us into your presence to receive the free gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is a remarkable thing, and every believer has a story, and it's your story, God. So, God, I'm praying that you would give us the strength, God, the resolve, the enthusiasm, the willingness to walk out of here today 100% confident that all we have to do is share our story. Share our story because it matters. It matters, and we thank you for that. All praise and glory to God for what he's doing even through the messy parts of our life as he is transforming us into the likeness of his son Lord, thank you for how you do that. I don't know how you do that, but thank you for how you do that. Because my purpose here as a child of God is to glorify God. So thank you for that privilege. Amen. We're going to take communion. And as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, we're going to come forward. And I hope as you come forward this morning for communion, which is a time of really reflection, I'm hoping that reflection today will be a reflection on your coming to Jesus moment and thanking him for that. He drew you unto himself for such a time as this. So they're going to play a song, come forward, and if you don't, come forward or you can't come forward, there are communion cups in the rows in front of you. Either way, either way, <sighs> allow this time of communion just to give you a time of taking a deep breath and remembering Jesus because it is in him that you have your identity and your purpose. Amen? Now come forward when you're ready. We've got just a couple of announcements uh, today. Um, one is, I think there are some slides that are just a praise report on the time that we had together uh, last Sunday after church, our family service last week, and uh, a lot of people hung around after church. It was a hot day, and we had just a lot of fun out on uh, the patio and in the commons with food and fellowship and uh, getting some people very wet. So thank you for those of you who participated and again, just an important time of our life together as a family. So the second announcement is from Kathy about women's ministry. Good morning. 
Just a reminder for uh, fall Bible studies, women's Bible studies are starting up. Um, so here's just the rundown on them. So Monday mornings, they're on break for a little while. Monday evenings are going to begin October 3rd, and we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Tuesdays at 2, it's on Zoom, and that's also continuing uh, through the book of James. And Thursday evening begins September 15th, and that's beginning the study of Exodus. So again, uh, Bible studies for women, a great place to learn, to grow, and to give to each other. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so our last announcement, um, again, I want to just read a verse of scripture that kind of sets the stage for it. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 5, and Jesus says to us, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's really the call uh, that Jesus has for us as believers, to really be light and to be salt in our communities and to make a difference as believers in, uh, in our culture, in the society around us. And one thing that we just want to draw attention to today is that a member of our family here is running for school board. Um, Dave Walker is. Dave, why don't you just kind of wave to everybody. So I, I, I want to be really clear. Um, this is not an endorsement of Dave. Um, we love you, Dave, but I'm, we are not seriously telling anybody how to vote. If you happen to live in that district, you vote for whoever you want to. What we are saying is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, is that we as believers are called to be light in our communities. And that is what David is attempting to do. And if he gets elected, I'm sure he'll be light within the school board. And if he doesn't, he'll still be light in this community. So this is not telling anybody what to do or how to vote. It is saying to all of us that when the Lord leads you, and asks you to serve in this community in any type of capacity, it's a wonderful thing. And we just want to acknowledge and thank you, really, David, for hearing God's voice and obeying and being willing to step up and do that. So that's something that all of us have an opportunity to do. So thank you very much.